With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the show. I'm Melissa Studdard and this is Tiferet Talk, the Blog Talk Radio show for Tiferet, a journal of spiritual literature where we work to promote peace in the individual and in the world through writing. Thrilled that you've joined us tonight, and we invite you to also join our online community at www.teferitjournal.com. There, you can interact with other members, read their writings, post your own writings, and subscribe to the journal. Our interview tonight is with Ron Starbuck. Starbuck has been a contributing writer for Parabola Magazine, has had poetry published in Teferit and other journals and anthologies and is the author of Wheels Turning Inward, a rich collection of over 50 poems that follow a poet's mythic and spiritual journey across the paths of many contemplative traditions. Starbuck has been deeply engaged in an interfaith Buddhist-Christian dialogue for many years and holds a lifelong interest in Christian mysticism, comparative religion, theology, and various forms of contemplative practice. As well, Starbuck is the founder of St. Julian Press, a nonprofit organization that will soon publish works that foster an interfaith and cross-cultural literary dialogue. Hi, Ron. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? I can. I can hear you very well. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you very, very much. I was just giggling over the fact that we're both in Houston and we're doing a telephone interview. (laughs) 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 So um, I'm going to just jump in. I know you spent 26 years in the corporate world as a VP at J.P. Morgan Chase and are now in an executive management position in the public sector. So I'd like to begin by asking how your poetry has developed within the context of these careers and what your evolution as a poet has been like. Okay. Um, Actually, two questions there. But um, working in the corporate world and in the public sector on an executive management team, they really taught me a lot about myself and what I'm capable of doing. Um, And I've learned so much about effective leadership and conversational leadership, leading conversation, driving people and teams towards consensus, working with really smart people that have challenged me to grow as an individual. And and all that sort of inspired me to do other and new things because there was always something new around the corner that was up and coming and that we had to do. So it drives you to learn new things and new ways of thinking and interacting with people, with leading and doing and just really becoming agile in your thought and practice within that environment. Um, And the experience really opened up my world and my vision because on several occasions I traveled internationally. I made many trips to New York City where I took in the culture there. Um, One of the poems in the book is called Times Square, and it's actually about the first time that I was in New York City and and just star-eyed. Um, and standing in in Times Square. To 
answer the second part of your question, my evolution as a poet, I began writing poetry in high school. And somewhere, some of those poems are tucked away in a file folder here at the house. Um, But my mother wrote poems when I was a child growing up, and I remember how cool it was that she was writing. And, you know, I really thought she should be right up there with Anne Sexton and Sylvia Plath. Um, And I later learned that she was really more like one of my mentors, Vassar Miller, and we'll talk a little bit more about Vassar later, I think. But my mother inspired me to write some of my own once I got into high school, and both my parents gave me a love for poetry. My father used poems a lot in his sermons. I grew up the son of a clergy. And I just literally spent a good part of my childhood learning about good literature and poets and and actually theologians of the 20th century, since that's what Dad preached a lot about um, when I was growing up. Great, thank you. I noticed in your dedication for Wheels Turning Inward, you talked about how your parents instilled in you that the power of good writing can heal the world. Can you elaborate on what that means to you? Yes, I can. And um, I'm going to borrow a little bit from Jewish mysticism here. There's this Jewish mystical concept called tikkun olam, and it means Mm -hmm. healing and restoring the world. Um, and it's it's sort of a shared responsibility with the creator with the creator to heal, repair, and transform the world, and that's very much the world that I grew up in. Um, and what I learned from my parents, and the values that I learned from my parents, and my dad in the 1960s was deeply involved in the civil rights movement, and so that's a whole another conversation about what happened there. But writing poetry for me has become, well, it's certainly transformative on a personal level. I mm. And I look at it as a spiritual practice in a lot of ways. And, and sharing it with others takes it to a whole other level. And I think that's true for any poet. Um, and this other concept about healing and restoring the world, the things we share with others help to do that. And even the smallest acts of kindness can help do that, such as being friendly with someone, smiling at a stranger, for instance. Um, you know, things on that level that are very small that, that help another person feel good. And, and certainly writing poetry falls into that category. It can change Great. the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, since your poetry and your spirituality are so intertwined, I would love to hear about more about your spirituality and your spiritual evolution. Well, um, I've been involved in an interfaith dialogue for it seems like my entire life. Um, I can remember as a child going through confirmation. I grew up in a, a pretty typical Midwestern Protestant home, um, but my father was always a, was also a clergy. And I remember going through confirmation class with him, and one of the things that he did was he took us to the local Jewish synagogue during Passover, because that was about the same time that they did confirmation. And he wanted us to sit in that space and worship with them and understand that that's a part of our heritage. Um, and so that sort of started it. And then as I mm-hmm. 
moved through life and even high school, I just became more and more interested in world religions and, and began studying them more on my own and reading a lot on my own um, and really began to understand God as this divine ultimate mystery and that there is something of the divine at work throughout the whole world. So I can sit in meditation with someone of another faith, like a, a Zen or a Tibetan Buddhist or a Sufi or really anyone who's interested in meditation. And, um, you know, we're there in that space together. And, and there's an opening up between all of us when we share that space together. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's great. Wonderful. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit more in a minute because I would love to hear more about how meditation has impacted your poetry as well. But let's go ahead and have you read a couple of poems so we make sure that we can get that in. And um, I'd love to hear you read Mockingbird Dances, which was in the fall issue of Teferi. Certainly. And also, would Ma- you read There Are Times? Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll just I'll start with Mockingbird Dances, and then I'll I'll take a brief breather there, and then I'll start on the other poem. Correct. Mockingbird, Mockingbird Dances. This morning I stand on our side porch and look up at a mockingbird that dances the dance only male mockingbirds do so well. He is a daredevil. He jumps high, flaps his wings, then spins twice in the air to land lightly again and again. With, I promise you, such an expression of personal delight and self-satisfaction that something in me arises and wants to applaud, to say bravo, bravissimo, and to dance too. And then there are times. There are times when I cannot tell the difference between you and me, of us together, When I see the beauty of the whole earth because I see it through your eyes, they're one and the same, as if we live inside one another. We are one as waves of light are one, reflecting off the snow whiteness of the jasmine blossom in spring. We are one as light enters and bends inside the inner surface of our eyes, revealing all the colors and images of life, flowing faster than light, swift as a thought, becoming a vision held inside our sight, a single white jasmine blooming with light in our neighbor's garden. Through this light, I see myself reflected in you, of us, together. When you breathe in, I must in turn breathe out. When your breath catches the sweet, enchanting smell of jasmine, my breath catches too. You are the first breath that enters into me each morning before my eyes open to daylight to collect and hold in that light before the day takes hold of us in its hollowed breathlessness. Mm, thank you. Those were beautiful. I love that um, that line, when your breath catches the sweet enchanting smell of jasmine, my breath catches too. It's beautiful. Um, I see so much inspiration from love, from the divine, and from nature in your work. Can you talk about some of the other things that inspire your poetry? Uh, 
Well, I think that I'm inspired by theology. I'm inspired especially by other poets. Um, I love a good adventure story where the good guys win and <laughs> where the goodness of the human spirit triumphs in reconciliation and redemption and renewal and hope and love and just the transformation of the self. And And when I think of the stories that I enjoyed as a child and even enjoy now, I think of like the Chronicles of Narnia. I think of Tolkien's work. I think of Harry Potter. Um, I think of Robert Heinlein, who was a science fiction writer that wrote Stranger in a Strange Land and Time Enough for Love. Um, I'm also a person who loves the theater. Uh, I like Shakespeare. I like Broadway musicals, a good play, a good movie, photography and art. Um, Good photography or a piece of art in any form can draw us out of ourselves. And, and there's times when it's so good it just leaves us speechless and it helps us to let go and simply empty ourselves in a type of um, kenosis, which is the Greek word for emptiness. And I really love that feeling of speechlessness or of emptiness of being empty and ready to receive the next new thing. And I think the secret there is an understanding that each moment is the next new thing. It's a moment that's both empty and full of infinite potential in that there's a newness that's born out of every moment. Um, well, and, this, and I, I think... Th- oh, go ahead, please. Oh, I, I could give you a whole list of other authors like Arthur Miller and Horton Foote and Harper Lee and people like that that have inspired me. But, you know, so oh, much of it comes... Who are, some of the poet, who are some of the poets that have inspired you? Um, Mary Oliver certainly is one of those poets. She helped me to discover, I think, my own voice and being comfortable with my own voice just by reading some of the works that she's done. Um, I'm a very big Carl Sandburg fan. Um, I love Thomas Merton, T.S. Eliot, E.E. Cummings, um, some of the greats like W.B. Eats, Pablo Neruda, Emily Dickinson, um, Patty Ann Rogers, who actually graduated from the University of Houston writing program back in the 80s, another lady named Leslie Adrian Miller, who also graduated from that program, Um, Vassar Miller, of course, the Houston poet, I, I could go on and on. There's a long list. But I've recently, <laughs> read, <laughs> I've recently been reading the poetry of um, Nathalie, Nathalie Handel. Um, oh, yes. and, and I've really enjoyed her work and, and a few mm-hmm. others. So there's always, a, there's always a lot of books sitting around my house, and at least half of them are books of poetry. Great. Well, I would love to hear more about your experience of studying with Dasa Miller. Well, um, back in the late 1980s, um, when I was very much involved in the corporate world, um, I just had a desire to learn more about poetry and put myself in a position where I could make myself right. 
Mm-hmm. And there was a class that you could sign up for with Vassar, and that's what I did. And, excuse me just a second. What sure. we did is we met in her home once a week for a time during the class, and we read poetry together, and she encouraged us to write. So we basically wrote and read what we write, and wrote, well, read what we wrote. Um, eventually, Vassar and I became friends. And I would go by to see her at her house from time to time. She lived close to Rice University in the museum district. Vassar was something special. She suffered from cerebral palsy since birth, so her speech was very impaired. And when you spoke with her, you had to listen to her very, very carefully. But her mind was very, very sharp, and she wouldn't hold anything back. If she thought something was good, it was good. If she thought it wasn't good, she'd tell you, go back and work on it. <laughs> it and I can remember the first time I read something to her that I'd written, and she said, yes, that's a poem, and I was just really delighted with myself. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good teacher. <laughs> Great. Um, okay. Well, could you tell us a little bit about St. Julian Press and your inspiration and mission for the press? Sure. Um when I was going through what I needed to do to find out how you could publish poetry and work with a publishing house, I learned that it was really, really hard and very difficult. And some of the people I went to said, this is going to be really expensive. Are you going to pay, it for, pay for it yourself? And I said, well, how much would it cost? And I had quotes of twenty to $30,000 and up, and I thought, well, that's not doable. Um, so I just explored it a little bit more, and I finally did find a way to, to work with a publishing company to do that. But it sort of inspired me to start a nonprofit on my own, and we did that back in August of 2011, and we initially had to file for incorporation, but we incorporated as a nonprofit. And I wanted to set something up that would promote both a global literary dialogue and an interfaith dialogue or an interfaith awareness, appreciation, and acceptance, and, and an artistic dialogue as well, and, and something that would help promote world peace and those type of cultural conversations and really open up doors. And I've always been a fan of um, St. Julian of Norwich, who was the 14th century. She was a 14th century English mystic. Mm-hmm. And I think that she was like the first woman to write a book in the English language. And T.S. Eliot borrowed from her book and her writings pretty heavily when he was writing the four quartets. And so... He introduced me to her, and then I began to explore some of her on my own. And it just sounded to me like St. Julian Press had a ring to it. And mm-hmm. and so I just did all the paperwork to start the corporation, and then the 40 pages worth of paperwork that you have to submit to the IRS to get approval for nonprofit status, and we're still waiting on that. But in the meantime, we set up the website, and as time went by, would invite people to submit or share their work on the website. And we've got quite a few people out there. There's a long list of um, 
poets and other writers and authors who have been gracious enough to contribute. And I wish I could read all their names, but it would take quite a while. <laughs> you've got some wonderful poetry on that website. I've been looking at it, and you've got an interview as well, don't you? Is there just one, or are there several? Right <clears throat> There's now? one interview um, of mm-hmm. one of the poets, and, and I want to do more. So that's kind of on my list of things to do, more interviews and, and put them out there. And, and there's and there's some prose that I put out there, um, sort of blog-type prose that out. That's are called interconnections. Great. You know, speaking of prose, um, one of the things that I really loved about Wheels Turning Inward was the preface. I mean, obviously I love the poetry, but, but the preface was so wonderful in explaining what you intended to do with the book. And I wanted to see if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what you said in the preface. <sighs> Is that putting you on the spot too much? No, 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 no. It's not. I, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts here. and Because um, it, it's been a while since I wrote it. But um, I wanted people to understand that this was very much coming out of not only my own philosophy, but my own faith and the things that I had read and studied throughout the years and the things that had touched my own heart. And so in the preface, I was really trying to explain that I place a high value in an interfaith dialogue, and I see a lot of wisdom out there in other faiths. And I don't have... I have a very inclusive view of Christianity and I see Christianity as a very inclusive faith and so you're going to see all through many of the things I write things, words that flow out of my Christian faith but you also see things coming out of my study of Buddhism and other faiths and the connections that they have between those all and, and that's what I tried to communicate in the preface that that was my inspiration And when I sit down and write, especially if I'm writing something of a spiritual nature, it's like a spiritual practice for me. It's a way for me to kind of bring my thoughts together and to let those words sort of arise out of my my own being, my own self. Wow. Okay, so now I want to know about how your meditation is connected to your writing because you've mentioned um letting things arise, you've mentioned emptiness and um and how does I mean do you actually meditate before you write, like directly before you write or is it just a little more fluid than that? Um it's a little bit more fluid than that. I'm, I'm not real intentional about sitting down and meditating before I write. I'm more intentional about, you know, pulling up a blank sheet of paper and trying to get words on that blank sheet of paper. But mm-hmm. in that sense, you're, you know, you're dealing with a space of emptiness there. And to put something down on a blank sheet of paper... I think you have to you have to go inward pretty far um, and ask for that inspiration to come out of you to to arise out of you to arise out of that emptiness 
and get your thoughts on paper. So in that sense, it's very, very much a practice of understanding that what you're working with here is in many ways a mystery in that you're looking for some type of inspiration. You're you're going to a place where you can find the words and make the words work. And in that sense, it's a meditation. Mm-hmm. Then the other is, you know, just a regular meditation practice of sitting in silence and stillness and how that helps to open you up to yourself and what I believe is a greater reality around us. And and that comes into it in place, you know, that, that spiritual practice feeds you. It's it's a very sacramental practice that sort of feeds you all the time. And mm-hmm. And I think it helps me to write. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Okay, so you've been a contributing writer for Parabola Magazine. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you've done for them? Yes. Um, it's been a while now since I contributed an article, but, but there were two reviews and interviews with two really wonderful theologians. The first one was Paul F. Knitter, and Paul teaches at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And that was in the fall of 2011. It was the fall 2011 issue. So I guess that was about a year ago. It was the seeing issue. And it was a book review and an interview. um, And that's called The Tangent. And the article is called (laughs) God is a Verb. And a a tangent is a line that intersects um, a parabola. And so intersecting oh. thoughts come together is, is what that is. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah, and, and Paul wrote the book, Without Buddha, I Could Not Be a Christian. So that was something that just happened. I wasn't looking for it to happen, and it just happened. And Tracy Cochran asked me to do the article because I was in contact with Paul Mitter. And something similar happened with um, Father Lawrence Freeman and... That was a second article that was done in the winter issue, um, the Many Paths, One Truth issue. And it was another book review and interview, another tangent called A Radical Openness with Father Lawrence Freeman. And he wrote a book called First Sight, The Experience of Faith. And he's the director of the World Community for Christian Meditation. He's someone who's known worldwide, he's deeply involved in an interfaith dialogue and has been for over 20 years, nearly 30. He's done quite a lot with the Dalai Lama, events programs and books together. And so I had a chance to do that because I was also in contact with Father Lawrence Freeman. He comes to Houston quite often, usually once a year, and I'm a part of that community. So, I mean, I love the magazine and what they offer, and they've offered for over 35 years. And and I certainly hope to contribute more to them in the future. Um, That's a wonderful magazine. Yeah, and I love love the ferret as well and the community they offer. So let me say right now thank you so much for inviting (laughs) me to participate in this interview because it's Uh, more than a thrill, and it's an honor. And all of this is very deeply humbling for me. Um, oh well, thank you. You know your your views and your poetry and all of it is just so perfectly aligned with what we're trying to do as well. So you're really the perfect guest, and and we appreciate you taking the time. 
Um, you know, speaking of time, we're, we've only got about two and a half minutes left, so um, I'd love to conclude by just asking what you're working on right now. Is it another collection of poetry or another article? Um, and also, do you have a website you'd like to direct people to so they can find out more about your work or see a schedule of upcoming publications and events? Or, you know, is there any, anything that you'd like to announce in closing? Sure, sure. I am working on another book of poetry. I have been ever since the last book came out, sort of collecting them and compiling them. Um, it needs some editing. It needs to go through a design process and formatting for publication. I hope by the late spring of next year that we can get it out and available. It's going to be called When Angels Are Born, and these are all new poems, um, except one, the title poem, When Angels Are Born, and that's coming. You can find it in Will's Turning Inward, and I'm intentionally including that and using it as a title because I really like the title, but I want oh, it to be I'm going to jump in here and interrupt you and make a clarification. When you say find it and wheels turning inward, are you talking about your blog as opposed to the book? Oh, it's actually in the book, too. There's a poem it's in there the called book. When, okay. Wheel, okay, when, when Angels Are Born, there's a poem in there called um, that. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, please continue. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so I just wanted there to be a connection between the two books, sort of a spirit of continuity between the two of them. Um, so that's up and coming. And then maintaining the website is an ongoing process. Um, and as far as the website goes, it, it's just simply stjulianpress.com, and it's pretty easy to find. Um, just St. Julian Press. Type that in at Google, and, and you're going to find the St. Julian Press website. And, and that's where – and there's other links out there that you can get to. Um, to blogs and things like that. But blogs by more than me, so there's a lot out there. And let me okay. say thank you for having me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so, so much for joining us. It's, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, and um, I look forward to your next collection. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful, yeah. yeah. yeah well, that means yeah. i got to get work on it. <laughs> That's right. We're ready. <laughs> Well, you have a wonderful evening, and um, I hope to talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank Bye-bye. you. Good night. Good night. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.